If you have a Bible, find your way to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 1 is going to be our text this morning. And I am raring to go. I've been so excited and anxious to get our first series started and glad that that's here. And as I thought about where are we going to start, I thought I'm just going to go Old Testament on this church to start right out there. So uh, excited about this book and, and really feel like in the season of life that we're in as a church and likely the season of life that you're in right now, that God has a lot to teach us through this uh, very small, short book in the Old Testament, and that the book of Habakkuk. And so, if you're able to stand, I'm going to ask you to do so for the honor of reading God's Word. This is our weekly reminder, if you're new here, that um, the Word of God comes to us with authority. This is not about my authority, but God in His Word. And let's look here at Habakkuk chapter 1, and I'm just going to read the first four verses, though we'll look through the first uh, 12 verses. Uh, this morning. Habakkuk chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, says, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that um, by Your Spirit You give us a moment of honesty. That in these next few moments, we could take off the mask and be real about where we are. Be real about the questions of our heart. Lord, I ask that by Your Spirit, the Spirit of truth, that You would guide us into truth and open our eyes. Draw us deeper to You. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. When the phone rang... I knew I shouldn't answer it, but I did anyways. And what I heard on the other end was exactly what I knew I'd hear. It was a family member telling me, Wes, your grandfather has passed away. I hung up the phone. I crawled up into bed. And I wept the rest of the night. I wasn't shocked. After all, the doctors had told our family about three months earlier that my grandfather had brain and lung cancer and that it was progressing quickly, and that's exactly what it did. But I remember that night, laying in my bed, asking God, why now? Not why this, not why him. Why now? Of all the times in my life, now, you see, eight months earlier, I had surrendered to ministry. That was five months before I knew of my grandfather's cancer. 
My grandfather had spent 51 years of his life pastoring churches. And so when God finally gave me the peace I was looking for about how my life would be spent, namely a minister of the gospel, I was, I was so thrilled that I would have my grandfather there to talk to, to ask questions, to grab a cup of coffee. I'd be learning things in seminary that I'd be able to bounce off of him and all of those expectations on a Wednesday night in February were gone. You ever looked around at your circumstances and thought, God, is your watch broken? Like, I, I know the Bible talks about you've got this plan for my life, but I've got to be honest, this plan seems like it's a little off course. How about some recalculating? i got to be honest, God, I, your ways just kind of seem strange. I wonder how many of you have ever looked at the uncertainty of life and had questions. If that's you, if you've ever been there, if you've ever felt that, I want you to know that you're in good company because a prophet of God in the Old Testament starts his book with questions to God. He fully understands, he fully relates to what it's like to be in a moment of uncertainty and have questions for God. Notice he starts out in verse 2, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Translation, O Lord, Yahweh, covenant God, what in the world are you doing? This minor prophet has a major question. And the reason is, is because he's facing a time of uncertainty in life. We know a little bit about Habakkuk. I mean, there's not a ton we know about him as a person other than his name sounds like a sneeze, you know. Habakkuk, God bless you. You know, here's a tissue. I mean, we don't know much about the man, but we do know a little bit about the context that he's having this conversation with God in because look at verse 6, the first phrase. It says, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that is the Babylonians. So we know that Habakkuk's having this conversation with God at a time when the Babylonians are coming to conquer Judah. Now that insight gives us a little bit of knowledge about what the uncertainty is that Habakkuk's facing. The first is he's living in a time where there's ungodly lifestyles. You see, Habakkuk here is having this conversation with God at the same time of another prophet by the name of Jeremiah. Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah chapter 5 about this time that, quote, men, wicked men are found among my people. They lurk like fowlers lying in wait. They set a trap, they catch men. Like a cage full of birds, their houses are full of deceit. Therefore, they've become great and rich. They've grown fat and sleek. They know no bounds in deeds of evil. They judge not the justice, the cause of the fatherless, to make it prosper, and they do not defend the rights of the needy. So, so here's Jeremiah tells us, same time that Habakkuk is, is having this conversation with God, that it's a time where people live however they want. Whatever lifestyle they want to live, whatever feels good they do, they are living in sin and it's celebrated. Anybody ever see that around you? It's amazing, isn't it, how a book written hundreds of years ago speaks exactly to what we see today. 
It wasn't just that, but they're materialistic. They've grown fat and sleek, Jeremiah says. They don't care about the needy. They don't care about the poor. This is, it's all about self and nothing about God. And Habakkuk sees all this and he's burdened to the very core of his being. And this uncertainty, not just that he sees among the nations, but he sees even among the people of God, has him very concerned. But it's not just lifestyle, it's also leadership. Because we know the timeline here, uh, Habakkuk would have experienced the great king, Josiah. Now here's a neat thing about Josiah, he became king at age eight. Now you think about that, how cool would that be to be eight years old and king? I mean, I have a seven-year-old son. I can't even imagine what life would be like if he were king. A little bit would be everybody would be forced to drink Mountain Dew. Okay, that'd be a requirement. All the schools would be shut down and water parks would be built in their place. And any crime committed against younger sisters would be permissible. All right? I mean, it'd be a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong, but it would be chaos. But you know what? Josiah was a great king. In fact, when he was age 16, he led Judah in a time of reformation. He called them away from idols. He called them back to God. People were worshiping and serving God like never before. Josiah was such a great king that he went out with his, his army in battle and he was killed. The man that followed him was a man by the name of Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was the exact opposite of Josiah. He led the people into sin. He was a wicked and evil king. And so Habakkuk, when he's having this conversation of God with God, looks at the people of God. There's total sin, disregard to God's Word, and the leadership is only backing it up. And he sees all this uncertainty of where the people of God are headed and where his country is headed. And he's so burdened that he comes to God with questions. Now, warning, this is not for the faint at heart. This is not for the, the surfacey Christianity when you look at the questions that Habakkuk asks. Look again at verse 2. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Translation, I keep calling and he keeps sending me to voicemail. And it might be nice every now and again, God, for you to call me back. But you don't even act like you hear. Or cry to you violence, and you will not save. I see all this wickedness, violence happening, and you don't do anything to stop it. Verse 3, why do you make me see iniquity, that is sin, and why do you idly look at wrong? Do you see what he's saying? I see all this sin, and God, you don't care. Like you just sit there idle, like you're just rocking in your rocking chair. Why do you make me see it? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Verse 4, the law is paralyzed. The Hebrew there is fallen asleep. That is, they don't even care about your word anymore. And then if that wasn't bad enough, the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. In other words, God, when I look around, I see the evil people winning and the good people suffering. And that's just not right. You ever been there? Like that's, like I just read that and think, wow, that's so raw. It, it's so honest. 
It's so deep. It's so, God, here I am, like it or not. You ever feel that way where you've just had enough of what you see around you? Like an evening to watch a movie at a Colorado movie theater turns into a bloodbath? A normal school day at Newtown, Connecticut shatters the lives of families? A national event like the Boston Marathon turns into a national tragedy? A famous evangelical pastor asked to pray at the inauguration pulled because he has a biblical view of marriage? 55 million babies over the last 40 years slaughtered in the womb under the ironic slogan of individual rights. Violence, and you don't do a thing! Sin! And by all appearances, you're asleep! That's what Habakkuk's saying. And not just with among the culture, but among the church. The law is paralyzed. Your people don't even care. Churches, empty. In many places in our country, attendance declining. Church members and people fight over the silliest of things like music styles and dress preferences and traditions and does your word even matter? This is deep. This is real deep. And that's where Habakkuk's at. By all appearance of things, God, it seems as though you're not doing anything. He looks at the uncertainty of life and all these questions that naturally start welling up within him. He takes them to God. Now that raises the question, are we allowed to do this? I mean, like I know he's a prophet in the Old Testament, but can I do this? Are you supposed to question God? I, I, I want to tell you there's two types of people in the room, those who question God and those who lie about it. Am I right or am I right? I'm right. But there's two groups that will tell you, the first group will say, you don't ever question God, ever. Who do you think you are? You just close your eyes, put on Chris Tomlin, and, and just la, 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 you know? Just skip to church in your leather-bound Bible and act like everything's okay. The only problem with that view is the Bible. Like Habakkuk 1, 2 through 4. But then there's another extreme that says you ought to question God all the time. And it, like, how can God be God because X happened and Y happened and Z happened? I just don't think He is who He says He is. That's sin. Habakkuk doesn't do either one of those extremes. What Habakkuk does is he takes his questions to God in faith. Questioning God in faith. Meaning, he's not accusing God. He doesn't doubt that God is God. In fact, in verse 12, when he gets to another question later on, he says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? In other words, I, I, I'm concerned about your holiness precisely because I believe you're holy. I'm questioning God in faith. Let me give you an example of this. Um, 
A couple of summers ago, I was asked to speak at a conference in uh, Florida, which, like, I'm praying, God, if you want me to speak in Florida again, like, now, uh, that would be a great idea, okay? You can bring me back in July. No, I'm kidding. But I, I, it was 4th of July week, and I took my son, and um, my son hates loud noises, like with a passion that will never die. And um, he's off with a group of students, and I'm over with a group of adults, and all of a sudden, 4th of July, on the beach, fireworks start, boom, boom, loud noises, and my son jumps up from where he's at. He runs across the sand as fast as his little legs will take him, jumps up in my arms and says, why did you bring me here? Why did you bring me here? Which made me feel terrible as a father. Did he question me? Sure he did. But he did so in my arms. And that's a lot better than him questioning me as he's running the opposite direction down the beach. That's what Habakkuk's doing. He has questions that his uncertainty brings up, but he knows where to go with those questions, namely to God, and to be raw and honest about them. And he's not the only one who does this in the Bible. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord... Kind of sounds like Habakkuk. Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Do you see? Question, 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 question. But then in verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. In other words, question, 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 but I trust. It's questioning God in faith. Look here, Brian, there's a difference between saying, God, I know you're good, but I don't understand, and saying, God, I don't think you're God. It reminds me of uh, a scene in the movie Apostle. It, there's a, a, a character, he's a pastor, who played by Robert Duvall, and his wife um, has found another man. His church is considering removing him, and in all this cloud of uncertainty, he brings his questions to God. Has taken my wife, they stole my church. That's a temple I built for you. And I'm going to yell at you because I'm mad at you. I can't. Take it. Give me a sign or something. Blow this pain out of me. Give it to me tonight, Lord God, Jehovah. If you won't give me back my wife, give me peace. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. Give me peace. Give me peace. I don't know who's been fooling with me. You are the devil. I don't know. And I won't even bring the human into this. He's just a mutt, so I'm not even going to bring him into it. But I'm confused. I'm mad. I love you, Lord. I love you. But I'm mad at you. I am mad at you. So deliver me tonight, Lord. What should I do? Now tell me. Should I lay hands on myself? What should I do? I know I'm a sinner and I once in a while. Woman, I have, but I'm your servant. Since I was a little boy, you brought me back from the dead. I'm your servant. 
What should I do? Tell me. I've always called you Jesus. You always called me Sonny. What should I do, Jesus? This is Sonny talking now. That's Habakkuk. I love you, but I don't understand. And I bet you there's some of you here this morning who have been or are right now in that same situation. How is it they got promoted and I didn't? How is it that we continue to have bill after bill after bill after bill? Why is it that my marriage ended? Why is it that we have been unable to have children? One of my mentors in seminary wrote about a time when his wife was upstairs crying because they just received the news of their third miscarriage. He walked down into the garage, turned on the car. The first thing that came out of the radio was, breaking news, Madonna's pregnant. And he sat there thinking, how can a woman who so wants to raise her children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord be upstairs crying her eyes out and Madonna's pregnant? I love you, but this doesn't make any sense at all. And Brian, until we learn to wrestle with God that way and be real with Him in faith, not absent of faith, our faith will always remain shallow. Because faith doesn't grow when you put on the church happy face and act like everything's okay. Faith grows in the midnight hour of the soul. Worship increases when we come to God with our questions precisely because we know that's where we should come. He is our refuge. And it deepens our relationship with God because superficial conversation breeds superficial relationship. When all you talk to God about is the weather and your upcoming surgery, He's really not God functionally to you. He's the buddy you meet at Starbucks. But when you come to Him like a back of questions and all, that's when faith grows. And so this uncertainty that Habakkuk seeing among the lifestyle of the people and the leadership before him raises up all these questions about God and he does what he should do. Namely, he brings them to God in faith and you would think that God would give Habakkuk clarity. But notice what God tells him. Verse 5. God now answers these questions. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Time out, footnote, I think Habakkuk at this point saying, yes, God, I knew you'd come through. I knew you'd answer. Revival's coming. 
A new king is going to be put on the throne. Yes, God, thank you. Habakkuk, let me finish. Verse 6. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that is the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. He goes on through verses 7 through 11 to describe what a wicked people the Babylonians are. In other words, here's what God tells Habakkuk. You want me to do something? I am doing something. I'm bringing the Babylonians to judge you. What? I think I liked it better when you didn't answer. Let's go back to the silent portion of this conversation. I mean, get in with the backup here. My question is about injustice goes unaddressed, and your answer is to bring a people more unjust than we are to judge us. That didn't make any sense. I don't know if I get a vote in this, but I vote no. I want you to get the feel of what Habakkuk would be feeling when God answers this way by giving you this illustration, but you have to hear me. I'm not making a judgment on anything that, is hap that has happened in America. God has not given me the freedom to do that. I kind of get frustrated when some people do, but that's another story. I'm not making commentary on any events in America. This is purely illustration. But it is the equivalent of you going to God, frustrated with the things that you see in America, and, and saying, God, would you do something? And God saying, sure, I'll do something. I'm sending Al-Qaeda. North Korea. That seems even worse than my original question. Isn't it funny how sometimes we demand the justice of God and then when He brings it, we consider Him unjust for doing so? And so Habakkuk has gone from questioning to now even more confused. Why? And you have to get this because this is what the whole book is about. This is what God is doing to Habakkuk, and this is what God is doing for us, Brian. In the midst of the question, and in the midst of the even deeper confusion, will you trust? Will you trust that God knows what He's doing? That God has a plan even when you can't see it? That God is at work even when it A, appears He's not, or B, he is, and that work seems more confusing than his inactivity. Will you trust? Will you trust that God is at work? Because there's sometimes there are things going on that we don't understand because we can't understand it. It's too big for us. Like my, my middle child, Audrey, she's five. She thinks that her nutritional uh, diet should be donuts for breakfast and cake for lunch and ice cream for dinner. You're like, I love this girl. It's like a great diet. And she asks, why can't I have dessert? Why can't I have dessert all the time? And 
Do we explain to her all the nutritional process of the human body? No. We say you have to trust. This is how it is. Or when my kids ask, you know, where do babies come from? You know, do we pull out charts and pictures and show them the human reproductive process? No. I say, go ask your mother. No, I don't do it. <laughs> That's what I want to say. That's not what we say. We recognize that they're at a place where they just can't understand. And in that moment, are you willing to trust in someone who knows more than you do? Because the whole thing for Habakkuk hinges here on verse 5 when God says, look at the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. I am doing a work in your days that you wouldn't believe if I told you. You see what he's saying there? I want to know. I, where, where do babies come from? What are, what are you doing? You just don't understand. You couldn't even believe it if I told you. And we have the privilege of being able to look throughout history to see how God really was at work. Now, no, 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 Habakkuk didn't see it. He didn't understand it. But do you know what happened as a result of all this? And we'll wrap things up. The Babylonians do come, by the way. And do you know what they do? They scatter the Jews. They scatter Judah all over the place. There's Jews here and there and over there. They're scattered everywhere. And do you know what they do as they're scattered through all these different regions? They set up synagogues, places of worship. So now, rather than the synagogue being here in one place, you've got one here and one here and one there. They're scattered all over. A few years later, the Roman Empire emerges. You have a Hellenization. Now you have roads going from one place to another. You have a common language that allows communication to travel much easier. And guess how Christianity spreads like wildfire in the book of Acts? Through the apostles taking the gospel to a synagogue over here and a synagogue over there. And a, rather than one central place, now Christianity spreads all over the place because of something that God did all the way back with the Babylonians. In fact, the Apostle Paul preaching in one of those synagogues in Acts chapter 13 quotes a verse that you might find rather familiar. Acts chapter 13 and verse 41, here's what he says. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you would not believe even if one tells it to you. Paul quotes Habakkuk 5, the work that Habakkuk was to put his faith and trust in, and he does so in reference to Jesus Christ. In other words, Berean, what is the answer to Habakkuk's questions about, are you going to deal with sin? Are you going to let injustice just get away with it? Are you really doing a work in my day? Yes. Answer, Jesus Christ. Because what 
What God was doing in Habakkuk's day is what God is doing in our day. That is, He wants to draw our attention to the cross of Jesus Christ, the ultimate work of God. Why? Because when you're in the midst of your uncertainty, and you've got more questions than you've got answers, and you look down the road of life and you don't see anything but fog, if you'll stop and look at the cross of Jesus Christ, you'll never have to worry whether or not God loves you. You'll never have to worry whether or not God has a plan for you. You don't ever have to worry when you look at Jesus, the work that God is doing and the work that God has done. You don't ever have to doubt whether or not God is working good to those who love Christ Jesus. So this morning, what do we do? The uncertainty of Habakkuk brought questions, real questions, right to God. God brought more confusion. And we'll see that in future weeks. To teach Habakkuk a lesson, you're going to have to trust. So what do we do? I'm going to give you just a few things as we leave today. These are the take them home with you. Think about a Monday morning when you're going through Starbucks or whatever. What do you need to do? Right here, Brian. Right here. Some of you in this room, there is no doubt, you are uncertain about the most important thing in all of life, namely, how to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And brother, there's not an issue more important in life than for you to be certain about than that. And the Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, repent in your heart from your sin, that you will be saved. That you, this morning could have certainty in the greatest area of life. Others of you, you're a Christian, but like you have questions that you've been like hiding down inside and you don't like to talk about. And I just, again, newsflash, God already knows them, so stop being fake. Do you really think He's surprised? When Habakkuk came to do you think God was like, Habakkuk, I can't believe you had all these questions. <laughs> Be real. The last time I checked, God's big enough to handle it. And so this morning, what some of you need to do is to get in His arms and ask the questions in faith. Others of you, what you need to do you're not ready to jump in. You're not ready to jump off the stage. You just need to take that first step of, I'm trusting. I'm scared. I don't have any idea, but I'm trusting. And lastly, what all of us need to do is we need to go to the cross. Go to the cross. Over and over and over again to be reminded, He has done a work. So we don't ever have to be uncertain. You know, I still miss my grandfather. There, are, there have been days in this ministry journey when I'd have given anything to have five minutes with him. To have that cup of coffee. To ask that question. You know, God has taught me through the journey that even though my grandfather 
past, there is one who will never leave me. And that no matter what I deal with, I can come to him, questions and all. Would you pray with me? Lord, I ask now again for your spirit to work in this place. I trust he has. That he has brought to our attention and to our heart's surface some real things we need to deal with. And so God, I pray that um, as we hear this song, as we listen to this song, that Father, we would, we would wrestle to the very core of who we are, like we see others in Scripture. And that in that process, you would speak to us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.